Hey, I'm Stephen Povetter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10:15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. Good morning. Hope you're doing well so far today. Um, most of us are, I think. Yeah, yeah. So today I want to wade into something that feels almost dangerous to talk about uh, because of the really fervent way that we talk about it in our society, and this the subject of wealth and poverty. And it's a landmine, uh, a landmine situation in a community with the different kinds of assumptions and things that we have uh, in the church. And honestly, I'm glad that we are, are a church that has those kinds of complicated uh, feelings about it. In our society, there are two major paths of the way that we think about wealth and poverty. One of them is the set of assumptions that go with um, the political right in our society. And that is that all wealth is good and it comes from having done the right things, having a good work ethic, and doing the best you can with the opportunities that come your way. And on the other side, on the political left, we have a lot of assumptions that say something like, all wealth is evil. And if you got it, you're probably evil. Okay? And if you don't have it, it's probably because you made some bad choices in your life that led to you having those problems. And there is an incredible tension between these perspectives. An incredible tension between their absolutizing nature that says every situation is like this. It's either the individual or the system. It's either what you do or what has happened to you that determines your situation. And it makes it really incredibly complicated if you are willing to have a conversation with people who don't share your same sets of assumptions. That's why I have immediate regret for having chosen to do this today. And I realize that it's just complicated. And it's complicated in the book of Proverbs. It's complicated in this old book. And if you are inclined, now it doesn't have to be complicated because Proverbs, because there's some 800 different verses in there, right, that all seem like they're on their own path. If you do a, a chapter a day, like uh, some of us have been working at doing, then uh, you read, you know, today is what, to the 16th of, of July. So if you read Proverbs 16 today, you got, um, you, you got about 28 different Proverbs there. Well, you add all those up over the course of the month, and you know what? You can absolutely choose which set of Proverbs will affirm and support your assumptions. And you can easily avoid the ones that would challenge those things, right? But Proverbs, this amazing book of ancient wisdom, somehow understands the value of holding all that complicated stuff together. 
It understands the value of, of holding all of that, all of the, the messiness that comes with our understanding about money and what it means to have it or not to have it. And it weighs all that. And it will not just give you a set of clear, universal answers. Proverbs will resist doing that. Now, sometimes Proverbs gets a bad rep, almost as though it is the book of quick answers, the book that will tell you the way things are in simple, folksy ways. But I would say that Proverbs is a lot more nuanced, and it responds reflects the complicated reality in which we live much more fully than we may assume. And it does that, but it doesn't give us those answers that we might easily crave because it recognizes, I think, a fundamental truth. And that is that wealth requires discernment. It requires developing our capacity for intuition so that we may read each situation for what is happening in that situation and that we will not necessarily leap into spaces where we think we know what's going on without really seeing a person, without really holding what's happening in our moment, in our lives, or in the lives of the people with whom we interact. Wealth and poverty aren't just categories with which we may easily apply universals, but rather wealth, poverty, both require discernment. They require wisdom to think about what's really happening. So the place where we want to start today is to say that if we're going to be, become a community of wisdom in the way that we think about money and its accumulation or its lack, then we need to be a community that is willing to be careful about our assumptions, that's willing to be careful about what we think must or not be true of any particular person because of what they have or because of what they do not have. Proverbs can both say things like, it says in chapter 13, verse 2, where it says, An unplowed field produces uh, food for the poor, but injustice sweeps it away. Or it can speak about the exploitation of the poor in lots of places, but it can also say what it says in chapter 8, when wisdom speaks. And in verse 18, it says, Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and prosperity. It can both point to the reality of injustice and exploitation in our world while also pointing to the value that wisdom can bring to our lives and the prosperity which it typically yields. But it requires us to be careful about our assumptions. It requires us to acknowledge that we may not see the whole field at once. Wisdom requires us, and Proverbs would encourage us to make sure that we value absolutely 
everyone. One of the most powerful verses in Proverbs that I, uh, that I know of is in chapter 22. In chapter 22, verse 2, I got a lot, there are going to be a lot of different verses today, by the way, because I want to hold all that complicated witness together. In chapter 22, um, we read this, that the rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. The Lord is the maker of them all. It says something similar in 29, verse 13. It says, the poor and the oppressor have this in common, that the Lord gives light to the eyes of both. Proverbs wants to make sure that we understand in the dignity that we afford to people, that we don't just afford that kind of dignity to the rich, but that we are insistent on making sure that everybody has, uh, that we understand everybody is a dignified child of God. Verse 31 of chapter 14, chapter 14, verse 31 says that those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but those who are kind to the needy honor him. In other words, recognizing that when we are inter interacting with somebody who may not have the things that they need, that we are not at liberty to insult them or to denigrate them or to point the finger. Chapter 17, verse 5 says, Those who mock the poor insult their maker. And who among us wishes to go around offering insults to God. So value everyone. Don't allow your perception of someone to control whether your perception of their wealth to control how you treat them. And I would say that may even be something to be careful, not just with the way that we treat the poor, but the way that we treat the rich as well, right? Let's honor people not because of what they have, but because they are the beloved children of God. And that's actually a better reason to honor someone, right? Not because of what they've gained or accumulated, but because of who they are in the sight of God. Let's hold that in high esteem, holding everyone with the deep value that they hold before God. Proverbs also challenges us with a set of practices, not just in the way that we see people, though, but in the sorts of challenge, uh, practices that we uh, have in our lives. And I would start by saying that Proverbs, which has a lot to say about what it means to accumulate, wants us to make sure that we do that while we pursue integrity. There are lots of places, and surprising places, where uh, Proverbs has stuff to say about what, um, what it means. Look at, look at 20, uh, chapter 28. Uh, in verse 6, it's better to be poor and to walk in integrity than to be crooked in one's ways, even though you are rich. Or chapter 20 and verse 17 says that bread, that bread that is gained by deceit is sweet, but afterward the mouth will be full of gravel. Now, I got to say, mouthful of gravel is maybe my favorite image in the Proverbs. 
All right. Is anybody thinking, I know, I know, like me, you guys know my position on lunch and you know how much I love it. And I know that some of you are already thinking about what you have for lunch today. Is anybody thinking about going to a nice gravel truck today? You know, anybody planning that this afternoon, right? Nobody's, I, I mean, that image, I mean, can't even get over this image. The idea of like chewing on a big mouthful of gravel. Sounds like what they have for lunch at Camp Wannabeas, kids, right? You know what I'm saying? And Proverbs says that even though you taste bread that has been gained by deceit and it tastes delicious to you at the time and you may relish that you have won over, you have like been clever enough to gain something. At the end, afterwards, it'll be like you're just chewing on rocks. Practicing deceit to, to get ahead ultimately leads to failure. Chapter 22, the first verse says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver and gold. And there are a lot of places in Proverbs where it has something to say like that. Say so it'd be better to it's better to be poor and to walk in integrity than it is to walk in deceit and to walk in a crooked way and have have your wallet full. So Proverbs in our life of work, in the life and the way that we 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 go about pursuing the things that meet our needs that lead to wealth. It will always encourage us to make sure that we limit our pursuit of those things by our integrity. Or actually, I don't think it would say it that way. I think what it would say is almost the other way of that. It would say, make sure that you're practicing integrity because that's the way that true wealth actually comes. And there may be shortcuts to that. There may be shortcuts that are ways of exploiting people or ways of practicing deceit or way of cheating your values. And those things can lead to having a delicious meal of bread, right? They can lead to you having things, but all gain like that comes in the short run. And because, like we said last week, justice plays a long game. Anytime we shortcut our integrity or gain, we are loading the stack against us and eventually those things will lead to our ruin. The Proverbs insist that we pursue integrity, but it also insists that we practice diligence, right? And this is an important value that we need to honor in the book of Proverbs. In chapter 10 and verse 4 is one of the most stark Proverbs about this. And some of us talked about some of these in our classes uh, when we talked about work a few couple of weeks ago. Chapter 10, verse 4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes one rich. And that's a pretty clear way of speaking to the reality that Without the consistent pursuit of diligence, we're setting ourselves up for failure in this life. And without a consistent pursuit of diligence and work and, and being consistent about the things that we're working towards, we are setting ourselves up to not be able to provide the things that we need. And it's not just a message for people that are poor. 
In chapter 27, there's a couple of verses that speak to what it means to already have the things that provide for you and to yet not care, take care and to not practice um, diligence. It says in chapter 27, verses 23 and 24, Be sure that you know the condition of your flocks and give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever and a crown is not secure for all generations. So it wants us to know, even if we have things, even if we have possessions, they have to maintain diligence, maintain uh, an understanding of what it means to be vigilant in our work so that we don't slip into losing things that we could have had. Proverbs has a lot to say about what it means to be a people of diligence. And it's important, even as we move towards what it means to uh, practice justice and, and generosity and those sorts of things, that we still hold the value of what it means to practice diligence. When I think about uh, all the different ways that we think about this in our society, it's just too easy to think of this as a one-size-fits-all answer, right? But surely part of what it means to be a people of wisdom is it means that we recognize that our work ultimately has value and that we pursue it not with laziness, but with diligence. Even as we say that, though, of course, Proverbs does have the other side of the coin, and that is that while we practice diligence, we also practice generosity uh, with each other and with our neighbors. Proverbs 22, uh, verse 22 says, Make sure, do not exploit the poor because they are poor. Do not crush the needy uh, in court. But a couple of verses earlier than that, it says that uh, those who are generous are blessed because they share the br their bread with the poor. Do it insist to us that we make sure that we are practicing, uh, we're practicing generosity. 28 verse 27, it says, Whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing themselves. But one who turns a blind eye will get many a curse. Or maybe this verse in chapter 19, verse 17. Out of, uh, in that same line of those who are... Um, we read that verse in chapter 14 earlier about being kind to the, the, those who oppress the poor and sold their maker. In chapter 19, um, chapter 19 and verse 17 says this, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and will be repaid in full. So you have these kind of twin verses, right? One of them says, whoever insults the poor insults their maker. Then this other line that says, but whoever generously, whoever get lends to the poor is lending to the Lord and that they'll be repaid in full. In other words, the way that we treat our brothers and sisters, the way that we treat our neighbors, it is as though we are treating, we are, we are treating the Lord in those ways. Reminds me of this course, the parable that Jesus tells about the judgment. 
and the words of those who will cry out at the end of the day, right? O Lord, O Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you in prison? When did we see you naked? When did we see you without shelter? And Jesus will say, whoever treated the least of these, my brothers, in this way, in the same way you treated me. And Proverbs already holds that wisdom together, right? That wisdom that Jesus is later going to use to tell that uh, dramatic story of the end. Proverbs already holds that and says that when we are practicing generosity towards someone, it is as though we are treating God himself in those ways. So generosity with those things that we have obtained with integrity and diligence Generosity is part of the end game. It's part of what we come to do with what we've been able to acquire. You may not think of it in this category, but because of the way that God says the long game works, generosity is actually wisdom. And being a community of wisdom, a community of people who have discernment and are able to intuit what it means to be wise in a given situation. Such a community will always practice wisdom with a generous hand, looking for ways to bless people out of our abundance or even out of what our simple needs, what we have in our simplicity. So we pursue integrity, we practice diligence, we practice generosity, and then last, I want to offer this bit of wisdom. And I know, I'm, like I said, we have a lot of different verses today, but please turn with me to chapter 30 and hear what it says in verses 8 and 9. But I really think these kind of hold together a lot of this stuff. Here uh, is a prayer to God says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. So this is the integrity piece, right? Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that I need. Or I shall be full, too full, and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or I shall be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Proverbs recognizes that all along the spectrum of what we possess, there are dangers, dangers to our character. Dangers where we may say, if we are too rich, I have done all this by my own hand. I have, I have filled all these things up. I have been diligent. I have been a person of good character. And so I have everything. Who is God to me? Or I may be so in need and so in despair of the things that I wish I had, but I do not. That I still, I, I'm, I become a person of dishonesty in that way, or 
Or maybe I just am filled with covetousness and envy for the things that other people have that I wish I had. And doing all that, I can profane the name of God in a different sort of way. Virtue is not reserved for the rich nor for the poor. Danger, moral danger, is not the, the space that is determined only by what we have or what we do not have in our bank accounts. Rather, I think wisdom calls us not to live by a set of assumptions about what poverty or wealth mean, but to live wherever we are with integrity and diligence and generosity and hopefully at the end of the day, contentment. A contentment that says, Oh God, let me have the things that I need. And I bet I'm not the only one who hears in this prayer the words that Jesus himself taught us to pray when he said, give us this day our what? Our daily bread. Contentment, whether in the heart, poverty, or in the heart of abundance. Contentment is an elusive thing to pursue. But I think it is one of the final marks of a person of wisdom. Because only when we come to the place where we can really hold together what really is need and what really is desire and what really is uh, something that is abundance or what really is something that is uh, less than what we really need. Wisdom in that place ultimately moves towards gratitude. That's what these last verses in, uh, in chapter 30 speak to me. It speaks to me about what it means to, no matter our situation, to live in gratitude. And gratitude is easier, is easier to maintain, it's easier to cultivate in that space where we are neither fixated on what we don't have or being fixated on the abundance with, of, that we have earned ourselves. Gratitude is most easily cultivated in a place where we have come to receive what we have as a gift and also live in our community in such a way that it's not just a gift for us, but for the other people with whom we share life. I'm so grateful for this church so grateful for this place and I'm grateful for how complicated this sermon is in a place like Central where we have people who are filing their taxes in all kinds of different brackets where people are living out of all kinds of different situations and we all have something to teach each other don't we 
people who are living paycheck to paycheck have something to teach those of us who are looking at retirement and the people who already have wealth have something to teach those who are in situations where they're struggling. And I believe that we are at our best when that is not just a one-sided flow of teaching. We are at our best when it is mutual, all of us in it together. You believe that? I believe that. Because at the very beginning, the church of Jesus was not just a community of only the merchants, nor was it a community of only the poor, but it was a community that, of people that had and who had not, and they were all learning how to share and be generous and follow Jesus together. I think that's at the core of who we are as a church. And I think it's at the core of who we want to be as a church. So let us be a community that's not known either for our great wealth or for our great poverty. Let us be known instead for the wisdom that we live with no matter our situation. And more to the point, let us be known for the way that we join hands together in that quest and simply follow Jesus together. Let's stand and sing together.